0: Welcome to Total SF in Exile and welcome back to my living room. We have some more new episodes coming up, but I wanted to replay by far my most uplifting interview in my two plus years doing this. Heather Knight and I have declared this the Happy News podcast now, and our Michael Pritchard interview is the happiest and most energized I've felt during an interview, maybe ever. Recorded in July 2019, when this podcast was still called The Big Event, Here's Michael and Kevin Fagan.
1: Team Mission two, San Jose From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle.
0: Welcome to the big event and welcome back, Kevin Fagan. Hey,
1: glad to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited about this interview with Michael Pritchard, who I know is a comedian, but you know for his social work. Do you remember the first time you met Michael Pritchard?
1: I sure do. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was impactful for me, and it was wonderful. I had been told that Doug Ferrari, one of uh, his friends, a comedian of great note in the 80s and 90s, had become homeless. So I went out and found Doug, uh, but before I found Doug, I had to call Robin Williams, Will Durst, The Lobster, all these people who knew Doug. And they said, you know, I don't know where he is, but if you find him, connect him with St. Mike. St. Mike. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I said, who the heck is that? And I'd I'd heard Pritchard's name, but uh, uh, when I connected with him, uh, I said, okay, I'm going to bring you to Doug when I find him. So I found Doug, and I met Mike on 6th Street. And Mike comes walking down the street. The guy's huge; he's like a bear, enormous.
0: Yeah, yeah. and and
1: <laughs> he, uh, he he walks up to this uh, to, to meet me this at this this certain spot, and he just lit up the street. He, he's got a, a presence and uh, that, that's both funny and caring and uh, dynamic in, 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 in many ways, all yeah. at once. And uh, I I, I love the guy right off the bat.
0: He's such a presence. I felt good all day after this recording. Um, He came in, I went to meet him, and he's giving like some kind of motivational speech to our security guards. He just spreads joy and optimism, which I think we need right now. This is... Kevin, the first time I've said I love you to a podcast guest. so <laughs> Came came very close with Jerry Rice. But um, anyway, I just think we need more Michael Pritchard. Well, thank you for coming on, Kevin. We're your concierge for Culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob and this is The Big Event. Thank you. I, welcome to the big event. Welcome Thank to you. the Chronicle. Thank Michael you, Michael Pritchard with Kevin Fagan.
2: Uh,
1: glad to be here. Honored, really.
0: Yeah. Uh, sir, I, I'm really happy <laughs> to have you here. Uh, I've I've seen you perform. I've got a Michael Pritchard story. We're going to get to that. <laughs> but um, a couple of different things that we're here for. We're here for the comedy. I love hearing about the old days, but we're also here for um your 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 work that you've done and social work. Is that the right. right term? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I was hoping we could start just early on right. your first time in San Francisco, what got you here and what kept you here?
2: Oh, great question. Uh I, I moved here and I had been working uh in St. Louis where I grew up and actually in Ferguson, Delwood where they had the riots here and uh, I was a deputy juvenile officer, they call it, and uh, work in probation. And I worked in the the, uh, reception unit where I would be bringing young felons in. And then I moved out here and started to do it here in... um, maximum security at B5 for uh, Mr. Foote, who is the director of uh, Juvenile Hall. And we were referred to as uh, youth counselors and you know, you're a social worker, but you're dealing with young felons that are brought in. Some are career criminals when you're in B5, they're career criminals at an early age, as was thought. And my main thrust was to try and help them slow the pace of criminal behavior down influenced them greatly with love compassion connection caring and humor and i loved the job i mean i i couldn't have found a better job more suited to me and san francisco had 37 different languages spoken in b5 so you're like you're in the middle of the world all of a sudden and i loved every bit of it and just doing comedy uh, about those kids um you know, one of the first stories I told, I ran a, a lineup and all the kids were all lined up, and accidentally, the victim of the crime walked past the door with the public defender. And the kid jumps out of the lineup, Peter, and he goes, oh, yeah, I remember her. She was the one I robbed over. I go, shut up, stupid. She picks you out of the lineup. You don't pick her out of the lineup. And, you know, I never had to write material. I would just tell them what happened during my daily life. And and at the same time, I was becoming patently more aware of what I do now in the prisons and jails with a thing called... Uh, ACE, which is adverse childhood experiences. Early childhood trauma leads to diseases later on in life, but it also leads to trauma, addictions. It leads to criminal behavior, mental health issues. So trying to get in there early. So uh, that's what took me into doing the elementary and middle school and kindergarten shows.
0: So you're, this is 79, you came to San Francisco. Were you doing stand-up then or was it something that people kind of dragged you into both i was trying
2: to quit drinking and i was trying to get get my head straight and uh what can you imagine the more ridiculous thing in the world is to be in a nightclub trying to get sober (laughs) trying to talk trying to talk to people that were wasted crazy hard here's here's a swell idea so uh and it was it was how i did get sober and just used comedy as the fulcrum to to find not just the sobriety, but that level of love that you could have for other comedians and the art of stand up comedy and, and trying to help people become and young comedians uh, through encouragement uh, teach them uh, to be respectful of themselves and others. I had fun, I had so much fun with the comedians in those days yeah. at the Holy City Zoo. We all that was our playground, Sixth yeah. and Clement. And we were wild. Robin Williams was there, Whoopi Goldberg, Danny Glover. Uh, We were at the other cafe, the Punchline. But all of us, you know, we built a really wonderful scene here. And it was exploding in the the 80s. Uh, By the time I won the San Francisco Comedy Competition in 1980. And it it was a a, a night at the Warfield. Packed 2,000 seats, 20 bucks a pop. People were coming in. And that's when Bill Graham says... This is a money maker. We yeah. can do this. Yeah. It became on board. And, you know, they were on board.
0: Yeah, and we actually have coverage of that. Um, I love our coverage of that night because it said that you won. It said that you just killed it. I'm going to read a little here. Pritchard does not tell jokes as much as create a comic character on stage that is clearly driven from his own personality. A grinning giant who stands six foot six inches tall. Uh, Pritchard screwed up his face to grotesque but lovable <laughs> contortions and threw his body around in spastic abandon. Um, <laughs> that's but, Joel Selvin, Selvin, isn't it? Yeah. That's Selvin, yeah. but yeah, here's nice. the part I love. Um, yeah. The gentleman obviously has a bright future in show business. He could be a star, but he went back to work at Juvenile Hall the next morning even telling the crowd in his acceptance speech that he had to go home and get up early. Yeah, yeah that's true. So... I. What was it like then? I mean, on one hand, you've got to see these people, Robin Williams, becoming an instant star and other people following him. And I think a lot of people saw you for that, but you didn't want it?
2: No. You know, if you watched, Robin had just returned that night. He had just come back from Malta where he was filming Popeye, his first feature film. Yeah. And it was astounding. I mean, he came in and ripped the room apart. And we thought they'd have laughter fatigue, but he rocked the room. And it was huge. And we realized that we had built something wonderful in that. But when I got around the, the comedy scene and, and very helpful, the Chronicle, was amazing because they helped us build Comedy Celebration Day. They really helped build it up. They gave us thousands in cash and hundreds of thousands in free publicity because we wanted to celebrate comedy, not just about competition, for the comedy competition, but doing all that. And we had a wonderful scene. I loved going back to work at Juvenile Hall and I still work with kids daily. I talk to kindergarten through college almost daily and I never could give that up because there's uh there's medicine mm-hmm. in the laughter of children. There's medicine for the spirit of a human being and little kindergartners laugh. You want to hear the greatest line ever delivered by a kindergartner? What's that? I was up in in uh, uh we were up in uh, uh, Angels Camp, and I said, "Hey, boys and girls, who takes care of the plants and flowers? Because they need fresh air, sunshine, and love." And a five-year-old goes, "No." I said, "Who said no? I did." Because my dad grows trees in his closet. I <laughs> go, <laughs> 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 and we're moving on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <we're>
1: going on? <laughs>
0: so I I uh, want to tell you my Michael Pritchard oh, story. I hear it. Okay, so. Yeah. Um, and this is a story we've been telling in our family for a while. But um, my dad was a, a teacher at Burlingame yeah. High School, and at the time, I'm I'm just looking at some of the stories yeah. that we've written. You were probably going to a lot of high schools all, and a lot all of the time, yeah. Um, so uh, he took me to see Michael Pritchard wow. comedy in, in the auditorium of Burlingame High School, wow. and I had never seen a comedian before, Right. and. I sat down, didn't know what to think. I have very clear memories, even of some of your bit. I remember oh, sure, there was yeah. something with your, you and your brother on a balcony pouring out. Cream oh yeah, of weed pouring or... out.
2: Uh, yeah, we poured out uh, <laughs> p- uh, vegetable soup and pretended like we were puking on the people underneath. <laughs> Good yes, trick. I remember that.
0: <laughs> I, I think there might have been some shoes being thrown. Between oh no, you and that your was uh,
2: my mother. That was hilarious. Yeah. I said I found my mom's shoe and I hit it. And uh, uh, my mom was really mad. She goes, I can't find my shoe. And I go, Mom, stop eating all that garbage off the floor. (laughs) If you wanted some popcorn, I'd have bought it for you. Just stop eating the stuff off the floor. And she goes, I'll kill you. When we get home, you're dead, 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 dead. And just the laughter of telling kids how family life in a big irish catholic family was yeah. and we were wild and happy and gregarious and and you know our lives were filled like that and that's what i told at uh, at the schools you know yeah. family life should be fun you know we should be having fun and humor was the best and especially at our table that I, was the best thing i
0: just remember laughing so hard and then oh. here's the story i i got that's home and this is back in 79 80 81 i was 10 years old, maybe. And we had one of those cassette deck tapes where, you know, with the big orange button and where you carry it out and put the cassette in it. And I put in my dad's one of his cassettes and started recording what i remembered of your act.
1: Oh, doing your <laughs> own version of it. Yeah. yeah. And it was you. like it was like good. a
0: he had like had a i guess it's i guess it was bootleg. Yeah. You know, it was probably like it's Willie great. Nelson or Jerry Jeff Walker yeah. or Kinky Friedman or wow. someone and i taped over his so he was kind of a little bit pissed, but i think yeah. not too much because <laughs> But he liked the creativity. He took me yeah. to wow. see you. So i i did what i remembered of your act and i was right. trying to do the voices and stuff because yeah. he had so many voices and um and my dad got a little bit mad but not a lot mad and i still asked him like did you keep that tape what someday i'm going to go through his tapes and see if i can find wow. it oh, me yeah. trying to do your act, yeah, act. Wow. but i realize like I was so connected with that. And then right after that is right around the time that KQED started showing Comedy Tonight. Yes, of course. And I watched all of that because it was KQED, so I could watch it. My parents were pretty tight with TV, but I could watch, you know, these great comics coming up with Alex Bennett's show, Comedy Tonight. Yeah. And then when I got old enough, you know, Cobbs would let you in if you were underage. You still had the two drink minimum, so I had to get like a, a. Crystal Geyser Mineral Water, like two of them sitting there. Um, And then I'd watch, I saw all these people. I saw Uh Durst, I saw Greg Proops uh, a little bit later. I saw uh, Dana Gould. um, Brilliant. uh, Yeah, and I saw all these great comics back then. And it just started with your show. So I just wanted to tell you that. It was, Thank you, Pete. Yeah. And you know
2: what? What did your dad teach? He's a high school that? math teacher. He's oh, still so still around. Yeah. yeah. Smart guy. Please send my regards. Because, I will do you do know, he, Here's the thing. If you bring your kid to a comedy show when they're young, they see a vision of two things. One of two things. One is the, the healing pathway of humor, which is great. Because I, in those days, I was doing... Um, Shows for folks with AIDS. We had a thing called the Healing Power of Laughter and Play Conferences. We did tons of uh, shows across for doctors and folks who were caretakers. Uh And just getting somebody to get their kid into humor early is a powerful gift because look where we're sitting right now. Look where we are right now from the simple act of getting your kid involved in the importance of humor in life.
1: Well, and I have to say that the kind of humor you do is different from a lot of humor. You you don't use a lot of swear words, no. really gross out things, super sex uh, situations. Yeah. You do just funny situational humor yep. that really cuts
2: to the heart. And, right. and, and it's different. You, if, you, if you picture that children can teach you, like one of my favorite lines is they have unfiltered, they have unfiltered statements. Little kid over in uh, Oakland at Civic Corps Elementary, little girl slammed and thinking she got mad and she's leaving the class and she walks out and slams the door and the teacher says, go down to the principal's office. And we're just sitting there quiet and I go, wow, I go, that little girl was she was angry and this little boy goes that little girl has always been an emotional porcupine <laughs> Go, you can a little we, kid a, little, a kid. little kid yeah they're fight they unfiltered stuff the, that they come up with the words they say the stuff they say the brilliance they have is is unfiltered because they haven't learned not to guard themselves. Well the stuff uh-huh.
1: you do reminds me of doesn't remind you of the Aunt art link letter he used yes. to be a little kid for show, years. Yeah. And he
2: draws stuff out of them gently. They will they will say the most astounding things and people don't understand that. When you when you try to tell them I mean you could watch it all um, on the Happy movie or uh, George Lucas did one called Lessons from the Heart. And that's on YouTube. And uh, I worked for years doing voices for uh, for Star Wars stuff and all the Ewoks cartoons and stuff. And you know, for the class clown in a Catholic school to be able to sit in a small room at Skywalker and go. <laughs> And then get a paycheck, man. (laughs) You're living living large. And then that's the draw in for the kids because you're teaching them a skill, a skill set for being a person that uses your voice and music and art to have fun. Why is comedy so healing? It, it, it is healing. It's cleansing. I, I will tell you, uh, there are moments with children that I, I know that they this new generation is going to be the medicine for a better world. I know a kid we were talking about, this fifth grader, I go, because I teach anti-bullying even for the San Francisco Giants, and I said, boys and girls, don't overstand people. Understand people. And a fifth grader raises and goes, yeah, but Mr. Pritchard, uh, don't you really think we need understanding? <laughs> understanding of ourselves and others like wouldn't that also as well be helpful i'm like Bleh. yeah well this yeah. is how wise they are at a second grader up at hamilton school and i said you don't have to blow someone else's candle out to make sure yours shine's brighter she goes mr mike if you do bully people and blow out their candle you'll be the one in the darkness Oh, wow. And I mean, this is. But see, people don't get this opportunity. Yeah. To make them laugh really hard opens up the heart valve, opens up the creativity center, and then all of a sudden you're you're gifted with some pearls of wisdom beyond your comprehension in just common talk. Well, you you tap into their better angels. Yeah. as They say the angels yeah. of their higher nature, right? Yeah. As Lincoln yeah. said, I,
0: I read. I think it was a Gerald Nockman column where uh, someone from Carson was here watching a lot of comics. And then I think you were one of the ones that, that I was on shined and you were on that day and, and you appeared correct. Was there ever a point where you were tempted? Was there ever a point where you wanted to go down to LA and spend a little time there and see what could happen or never felt it at all?
2: Never felt it at all. I think, and here's why I, there was some moments, uh, you know, I went down and I signed a contract for a hundred grand. I got a, a lot of money. I was on an episode of Taxi. I played a gay disco dancer who danced with uh, Judd Hirsch. Nice. <laughs> and on that episode, you can see that on YouTube. It's actually <laughs> an eight Emmys to everybody. Yeah. And what you're you're seeing is an astounding uh, opportunity for me. Was that they signed me to NBC signed me for a contract to a hundred thou, and I got chances to go in and meet all these folks. And then slowly, almost, almost overnight, though I thought this isn't for me. I have to go back to what's important to me and what is. And I knew comedy was my avocation,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and children was my vocation, and I knew it, and I knew it deep in my soul. And uh, there was, uh, I had taken a test, if you can imagine, a guy who. Uh, <laughs> Who was a, a brilliant Harvard psychiatrist and a psychologist. Uh, uh, he did all of the LSD stuff. I'm trying to remember his name right now. I'm the 60s guy. And he did a thing called Mind Mirror. Mm-hmm. And it was a computer thing you could, uh, uh, you could look up. And you take this and it tells you who you are and what your choices are. And Mind Mirror, this is an early computer game. This I took this in the 80s. I went. It told me, "You don't want to do show business. You want to stay focused on your primary mission and your primary opportunity for a life of fulfillment as children." And one, I went, yeah.
1: One thing I found interesting too, over the years, you've told me some stories about how show business has a really toxic atmosphere too, especially with the drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And you. Didn't you tell me once you were in a limo with Chicago? Oh, yeah. Think, oh, and yeah. There well, were bags of blow everywhere.
2: You're just, it, you're just, uh, you feel, you feel bad. Yeah. You feel bad. You get overwhelmed with the sadness and the loneliness of life on the road for people in, in music. And uh, I felt like a fly on the wall for a lot of that. And, and, and saying there was such. Loneliness in, in these folks on the road and loneliness in show business waiting for setups for movies and TV shows. And you're like, one man, if I'm around kids every day, having fun, which I am every day, not just my own and the grandkid, I'm in heaven. Yeah. And, but when when you're around that and you're seeing the desperation and the fear and the sadness mm-hmm. and the suicidal tendencies. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I spoke more to suicidal uh comedians and performers and actors uh, during the 80 to 87 than I did helping kids. And I started to realize, you know, I'm better off starting early with children and teaching them skills of how to prevail and overcome in life from depression or addiction.
0: You know, you mentioned that, and and I'm sure it's much more extreme in those areas. But Kevin, I can relate to that with journalism. I I realized early on, um, I was in L.A. for four years and survived that and then came to the Examiner and then to the Chronicle, and there were some people who were going out every night and going to the bars, and I, I remember... Do you, did you work with Eric Brazil? I did. Yeah, Eric Brazil was a first guy who... He's this great-looking guy in great shape, 70 years old, still Real a hiker. vibrant yeah. hiker, played basketball with me, yeah. and uh, and I realized... He, and then he went home every day right. to his family, and, and I... I picked up on that, and I'm like, that's what I want. And I saw that in you, t- you too, Kevin. I-, I saw you as one of the guys who you had your artistic passions, but you went home and and spent oh, time with your you. family as a priority. I kind of found yeah. the people in the newsroom right. to kind of look up to and modeled with Why that? do you think that's well, so thanks. important
2: to do, though? Why do you think that's so important to do for you as a journalist?
0: I think... Uh, when you're doing something artistic as part of your living, it's really easy to, um, uh, it, I'll, I'll back up. If, if you're doing something artistic for a living, it's good to have some separation where that crazy artistic Tasmanian devil spirit <laughs> Is yeah. over here, yeah. and then I'm gonna get home and do my remote control cars with my kids or watch a basketball yeah. game. I coach basketball and I ah. coach youth basketball. And you play basketball? And very I play well basketball. Too. Thank yes. you. Right back at you. But yeah. I I love coaching youth basketball, yeah. and I was I was roped into it, but I love it because it's not work it's something where I can work one-on-one with kids I can see the results I can have to some degree control over it and these stories that you're telling yeah. I get a little bit of that too because yeah. the kids are just inspired. you see it in their eyes they're inspired yeah. yeah. so yeah. I, I think it's good to have that separation when you're immersed in art and, it, and
1: it's interesting because it, well in my early 20s and my teens I you know I left home when I was 16 so I got an early start on wow. on doing the crazy stuff I spent plenty of times face down, drunk the next day, yeah. having a lot of fun with the friends, you know, playing music in the streets and doing right. stuff like that. You, you do that until you realize, it, you, I want to be in it for the long haul. I don't want to burn myself no. out. And we yeah. saw plenty of burnouts in oh, our newsrooms. Yeah. Oh yeah, who yeah, yeah. were were uh, had destroyed themselves. Yep. Drugs and booze does it, and carousing all night. You want to be able to to, to hit it hard
2: but maintain yourself. And you're using that talent for the greater good of the community, and this is what I tell the kids all the time, you you gotta see when I talk to adults and I go, the little boy, uh, there's a little kid, he didn't have great grades and he was a C student, but I said, here he is, he goes off to the Marine Corps for a couple of years and he comes back and he's on the uh, fire department and he's working the jaws of life and he will risk his life and maybe give his life to save yours. And he never had above a C in his entire life. And I say, look up here at me, teachers and kids. Isn't he a genius too? He's a genius of the heart. And that's what we have to really help kids and people find. That guy that climbs up the the tower Mm -hmm. in New York City, who's gonna risk his life? And even now when I ask them when I'm back in Rockville Center, who's going with me? Even though they didn't pay for any of it, who's going with me if they're up there suffering? Who's with me as an American? Who's going with me? Raise your hand. All hands. Because we know who we are. I said, it's never been about who they are up there. It's who we are going up to go get them. And that's that's how we got to live. What made you like this as a kid? Because you were an army medic,
1: yeah, and and you started out early. When did you decide that you were you were tuned into your heart and you wanted to do comedy as well, a kid? What, how did it, you? Well, I was seventeen when I
2: enlisted, and I don't talk about it too much because I it just creates controversy. Talking about being a Catholic and a practicing Catholic and saying the rosary. I mean, all over Marin, people are saying Namaste, and I go, I'm Irish Catholic. I say <laughs> no mass today. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, but but you, it just creates. Uh, everybody wants to argue about stuff and I keep telling them I go life is triage lots of wounded out there keep moving lots of wounded take care of the wounded I don't have time for your arguments and your politics and your religion I have time to take care of wounded and I started early realizing that life is triage there's so many incoming that you just focus on what you can do in in quick fashion to save those lives and I have a son who's a doctor in New York City a he is at Brooklyn Memorial. He's an ER doctor, and he mm-hmm. follows uh, strongly in the in the steps. And uh, big six foot seven, red haired guy, and he told a story about seeing the homeless and the hungry, and uh, and he said, "But you understand, Dad." I said, oh, "Of course, son. Yeah. of course, yeah. I do." Yeah. And and that's yeah. why when you work with these people and you're around this, you know, you can't walk past it. And and that's why I love when kids teach you. And what I try to teach is anger management, right? Uh-huh. Anger past thirty seconds is ego, and the ego is not your amigo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're and, full of great stuff. Oh, I'll tell you, the, man. The, the, the yeah. what I love is the little kid. I go, "What'd you learn today?" By what I said. Uh-huh. Don't let their bad day be your bad day or your bad day be their bad day. Don't play angry tag with people. I go, wow, <laughs> nice. we all need that nice. everywhere. Don't yeah. play angry tag. And so I learned early compassion and and trying to hold. Sarcasm comes from the Greek term, the tearing of flesh off the spirit. And a cynic, is, as Oscar Wilde said, somebody who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Mm-hmm. But Twain, brilliant writer from San Francisco, said the con- Container that tries to pour those out on others, those toxins, cynicism and sarcasm does more damage to itself, holding those acids in the container than it does those it intends to do damage to. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when you talk about bullying, you know, if I have anything, I feel empathy, empathy for the bully. They're, they're lost and they're angry. And in that angry, they're destroying themselves and they're destroying everybody around them, saying you don't, you won't love me anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important to try and get to that bully. And I've had thousands of bullies apologize in front of the whole school, which is a remarkable thing to have happen because they want forgiveness and they want to apologize. And and then you find remarkable redemption in their stories and the wisdom of it. And comedy's the way to open their hearts up. Every person has a core of goodness in them, and Absolutely. you can find it. Well, this, Every is, person. this, is, this is what, uh, you know, the be- best line is by, and I try to teach this to kids in college, Abraham Lincoln said, and it's very powerful, the only way to really destroy your enemy is by making him a loving friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you could take a person who's so angry, and he's lashing out at everybody, lashing out deliberately trying to hurt everybody, and you find the vulnerability in them that they're really, really lonely behind it all, yeah. then you help them with that loneliness. And that's the big issue now. Uh, over in Britain, they have a. a, a a whole minister level position called the minister of loneliness and it's important for us i know (laughs) but (laughs) it's perfect this is where all that isolation leads to the violence and some people are crying with bullets instead of tears san francisco is a great town for compassion love connectivity and i know the technology folks are going to awake wake up they're gonna they have to wake up to you can't walk past things ellie was says. Hates not the enemy of love. It's indifference. You can't walk past folks and not feel that that may be somebody you know. Your cousin, your aunt, your brother, your uncle. Somebody's lost out there. Take a moment. Uh Do what good you can do and help out. And that's what I've been doing. Since I got here, I helped a lot of homeless vets on the streets here. And you, with, st- you
0: um, still feel this is a compassionate place to live, a compassionate city? Oh,
2: there's no doubt. There is no doubt. I f- feel it in every time I speak. Now, have they lost sometimes their way? Of course. But what we need more than anything else is leadership that's connected to emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence makes you know you can't look the other way. Dr. King's line was, there'll come a time in your life when you can do the right thing or look the other way. If you look the other way, you're already dead. Well, you'll go on living for the end of your days. But who you were here to be, what you might have accomplished, what you were intended to do are lost forever because of your selfishness and, and avoiding the cruelty and suffering around you. And so this is how we roll. We have to roll with that type of leadership guiding us to the, the, the as Kevin says, like Lincoln said, the angel of your higher nature. Humor is one great gift. Mm-hmm. Tip O'Neill had it. Kennedy, Bobby and Jack Kennedy, they had it in mm-hmm. in droves. Joe Biden. We you have to be self-effacing. You have to not take yourself too seriously, you know? And you know, President Reagan was hilarious. When when President Reagan got up and he said, Well, my uh, wife is going to have dinner uh, or lunch this afternoon with Don Regan, uh, who uh, she's been having uh, words of anger with, and they're going to have lunch in the Rose Garden, and it's just going to be the two of them and their food tasters. <laughs> <laughs> Go, it. you giver. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir.
1: Well, I'll tell you, man, I, I, the, the homeless— uh, yeah, the, 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 you and homeless people. I've I've uh, I got yeah. to know you through through yeah. homelessness, and uh, uh, all the people that I called the uh, you know, Robbins people and right. and Durst and all them uh, called you Saint Mike. And I got to walk around with you <laughs> many times now. <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, to, as you riff with the homeless, it, you connect yeah. with everyone, and and they and and homeless people of all people need humor, and and I just love the way you. Walking with you down the street as you crack jokes <laughs> know, yeah, with dudes yeah, yeah. sitting on the side yeah. sidewalk is
2: just hilarious. Well, you know, here's here's the thing. I uh, the other day I had to deal with a young man who uh, who was a rescue swimmer who had lost somebody to a suicide who was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And and I drove immediately to uh, this homeless encampment and was feeding the guy up in the thing. And I said, you know, I just got back from talking to a guy who was trying to save a guy who was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And the homeless guy's still sitting there eating his uh, breakfast burrito and staring at me. He goes, wait a minute. Did you just tell me that somebody worth hundreds of millions and I'm sitting here? And then he just lets out the biggest under the underpass, biggest... F-bomb. And I burst out laughing, and an elderly lady who was sleeping right over there goes, Hmm. when you two are done with your bromance, would you shut up? I'm trying to get some rest. (laughs) And you're like, what? That in itself, picture that we're in San Francisco, Hmm. that a poor soul jumps off and whose family's worth hundreds of millions, and he takes his own life. And then you're with a homeless man who's flummoxed who's mythed that Uh. that kind of desperation who he's lived with and he's not suicidal, he's holding on with every fiber and the essence of his being as a veteran to hold on to his life. And then this lady says this, now you understand humor. Now you understand the homeless. They will, Surprise you with the the depth and clarity of their love of life, and their compassion for helping each other out. If we had the kind of compassion that we have at San Quentin sometimes, and on the street with the homeless, in our leadership, in the in the community, in corporate levels,
0: yeah, I, it would be magic. Yeah, yeah, I I think back to uh, I we're surrounded by history. We're in the archive, and I think back to the. I think the story that affected me the most that I've read in here, right after the 1906 earthquake, now we had a corrupt city government uh, Mm. in San Francisco, so they weren't much help. Um, Half the city's on fire. There's racism that is going to play out over the next years in terms of whether the Chinese are allowed to come back. But the people who inspired me were the richest people in town who stayed around. And there's a guy who nobody talks about, but uh, the White House or White Horse, uh, big department store founder, Raphael Wheel, who three days after his speech is in the Chronicle, three days after he said, I could take my money and live the rest of my days out in Paris or Europe. He's 70 years old, but he said, I'm gonna fight with every piece fiber in my being that I have left of me for this community. And he did. He, he wow. ended up uh, rebuilding. Yeah, nice. he, he gave, you know, medical and all kinds of treatment for people. He um, did everything for his employees. And then he went and lived till 90-something, late 90s, and helped out people during World War I. I mean, this guy's an incredible person. But I think to myself... I can name one guy who I think would be that guy, and and it's or or man or woman, and it's Mark Benioff. I mean, Mark Benioff. I love that guy. He's a great guy. I could see him doing that, but I I can't name another name like that. And and if you look out of nineteen oh six, A. P. Giannini, the banker who you know got all of his bank records on a fruit cart, brought it back, and then came back and told the other bankers, "I'm going into business next week." If you all wait till November, I'm going next week. And he dragged all the other yeah. financiers back to get the city going again. There's so many stories like that. Hellman descendants did that. Oh, Warren and Hellman. I, I wonder now, like, him. if there was a yeah. – if something like that went on, you know, would we have that? I hope we would. I, I want I, – maybe I'm looking for optimism from well, you, Michael. Well, you know, but...
2: I, I, will, I will tell you this. When uh, David Packard, after I was done, I, I gave a speech, and Bill Hewlett and Packard uh, down in uh, – the silicon valley years ago and he walked up and he was moved obviously any leader can be moved by words which is so important and what you're doing yeah. what you're talking about right now this is urgent and important for this city peter this yeah. is urgent this is this is a screenplay in your brain that will play out in the next 4 years and I urge you to go to Netflix eventually or one other studios and write this out because this needs to be told. The only way to create this is to to uh, plant the seeds across. And this is what John Chapman, who was Johnny Appleseed, plant the seeds, plant the seeds. And when I think of Hewlett and Packard down in the Silicon Valley, and I think of... Uh, Paul Cook, mm-hmm. and many of the other folks down there who are connected to helping out and doing good in the community and the community unity. This is why I, I do every year a thing called um, Job Train and doing it for 30, 33 years with uh, 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 Jerry Rice and, and Ronnie Lott. And these are good people. And just connected to community unity and moving people along to the greater good and seeing how important it is to just be connected to, because again, you have to remind, should it take an earthquake? Should it take an earthquake? Should it take a fire? Should it take a flood to teach us that we're going to need each other? Because near as I can figure on nine 11, uh, there was millionaires and billionaires waiting to be rescued by working class folks. And, uh, I read a, a, an article in Time Magazine. There's a young guy named Jack Shea who passed away on the, uh, um, in the New York Times. Uh, uh, the article was about Jack Shea who died on the Wasp, and he wrote a letter to his son, mm-hmm. uh, Jack Jr. And, about, and he said in there, and it was very moving, he was five. And it became a world-famous letter. Mm. And he said, uh, hey, if you're a good Catholic, you'll be a good American. And when we find the moral compass and the moral turpitude inside us to realize that we're all interconnected, that's when we roll. And I remember being in downtown San Francisco and a couple of kids that I taught them, the good you do will come back to you. The bad you do would be sad for you, but the good you do will come back to you. And they're on the fire truck in downtown San Francisco. This kid, Kevin Kuhn, is a fire captain here. And I see him go by and go, hey. And he goes, hey, Mr. Pritchard, the good you do will come back to you. They hear you, yeah. Yeah. and if you provide that moral leadership in corporations, in politics, in education, in police work, in firework, in paramedics, and you just provide that uh, that emotional intelligence of the heart. Best line I guess is uh, what I learned was from Alan Keller. They said, "Must be hard for you to be blind." She said, "Well, it would be if I had no vision." Yeah. Mm-hmm. We see with our yeah. hearts, and if we don't see with our hearts, we're not seeing. You know, that's from The Little Prince. Well, one thing you, you you made me realize more than
1: anyone else in my life is that uh, the motivation behind most terrible behavior is pain in the bottom yeah. of everyone. Unaddressed suffering
2: turns to, to anger. Anger turns to rage, rage to violence. Violence has two directions. Out towards others or inwards towards mm-hmm. the self. So don't judge people. I tell the kids, I go, you know, if Mother Teresa's line is if you judge people, you never have time to learn to love them and heal them. Mm -hmm. And so what the gift is, is to to see where that anger comes from. First thing they teach you in hostage rescue is never ask them what made them mad. Ask them what what they're so sad about why are they so sad yeah. and it turns to anger and then again you go to that line that I use all the time with folks these people are crying with bullets instead of tears
1: yeah. right? and I'll tell you a lot of comedians have a lot of pain somewhere in in, in, in inside right. that motivates them to be funny they turned it into into comedy instead of violence exactly right and you
2: you learn there's a a, a movie out by uh Robin paid for it and uh, Bobcat Goldthwait directed it Called uh, "Call Me Lucky" about my good friend Barry Crimmins, who passed away. He was uh, hurt when he was a child, and he chose to become an advocate as opposed to a perpetrator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's called "Call Me Lucky," and he went on to do incredible stuff. And he was very uh, influential in confronting the church on the issue of 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 the way they were looking the other way when there was suffering and yeah. children involved. And I call what we do ICE. Intervene, mm-hmm. confront, enlighten. And don't hate. It, yeah. it, it, it burns your energy out. Love them and make them well through it because I is illness and we is wellness, brother. There's wisdom inherent in a child understanding. If you hate, there's consequences to it.
0: Nice.
2: Yeah. Right? And that's why I think that the, the way home Robert Frost line, home is that place you go where they have to let you in. Mm-hmm. An American needs to come home to its heart and to that Frank Capra, Norman Rockwell America I grew up in.
1: Yeah,
2: is you know, it's there. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: What's the kindest or most beautiful thing that you've seen in a comedy club?
2: Oh, all the time, you know. I mean, the love and the compassion that comedians have for each other and the suffering after somebody blows it uh or 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 dies on stage or is uh destroyed each and every one of us have been in that spot where you've uh, you've had a death on stage and i remember one of my first times up on stage at the zoo i, I bombed so badly uh, one of the guys goes, "Uh oh, he's going to commit suicide," you know. And the, and the guy goes, "Can't die twice in one night." And then everybody starts <laughs> like, you know. But but when you watch a comedian die, yeah. you—if you're a comedian—the you, empathy that you have for him. And I remember one of these guys, Billy Boy Lucas, who was one of my partners, who's long gone, Filipino American. He and Buzzy Belmondo, the sweetest hearts. And I said, I I looked at him. I said, Billy. It'll be okay. And he goes, it won't be okay. They'll remember this. And I go, yeah, but they're drinking heavily, and they're smashed out of their minds. And he goes, so you're thinking tomorrow morning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I started to cry because he was so emotional. Yeah. And And I thought, here's a great heart in comedy. And this is what you want. You want people that want to heal that crowd and help them lift up from the sorrows of their day, right? Yeah. And that's the best. Same thing in San Quentin. You know, I see some of the kindest acts Mm. are in prison.
0: Well, that's beautiful. Um, I... uh I like to think that, like, kind of my comedy awakening was watching you oh, as that 10 year old who went and wrecked oh. my dad's cassette tape. <laughs> and, then, uh, and And it's so cool that. You know, these years later, that I'm still learning stuff from you and uh, and getting inspiration. I learned so. more
2: from you today than you learned from me. I promise you that. Is true. Yeah,
0: well, I, you know? I doubt that, but I uh, I do appreciate you coming on. And Kevin, as always, yeah, great to always have happy
2: here. to be here, especially with St. Mike. St. <laughs> yeah. Mike.
0: I'm gonna give you the last word,
2: uh, folks. Go out there and be the medicine for a better world. Just try in looking at things with emotional archaeology. You don't know what people have lived through. You don't know the sadness in their lives. So be gentle, gentle, gentle around everyone. And especially when you see that person who you think of as a miscreant or a homeless person, I promise you I've met so many of them who were souls of incredible depth and clarity, wisdom and leadership that they could teach us much if we would pump the brakes and listen for a while as opposed to judge.
0: Thank you, Michael. All
2: right. Thanks Maybe. for coming on. Thanks, brother. Love you.
0: Love you, too. Thank you. Right on. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guests, Michael Pritchard and Kevin Fagan. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle Podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.